Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the love of God, our Creator, Christ, our Redeemer, and the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Every time I preach, this is my benediction. It is the one thing I keep constant amidst all the liturgical variants of my tradition. And every time I think I might get creative and mix it up a little, which I've done maybe once or twice, because I know reluctantly that there are other good benedictions out there, I find myself continuously coming back to this same beloved blessing. I swear I know it by heart, though there have been at least two, maybe three times right here in the sanctuary, where that sudden, pesky, interrupting thought that, wait, I might not actually know it by heart may be flubbed embarrassingly. But thank God for grace. And while there is quite a bit of variation between our scripture text this evening from Paul's letter to the Romans and this benediction, it is certainly not a word-for-word -word adaptation, and there is similar language in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. There is enough overlap, and I am confident that this must have been at least one of the source texts of inspiration. Listen for it. Hold fast to that which is good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Associate with the lowly. Live peaceably with all. Love one another. Serve the Lord. Rejoice. Can you hear these words of Paul echoing in this benediction? Often when we preach, when we engage with what I'll call the inner life of our scripture texts, we'll look at a text as we might look into a well or a portal even, trying to enter into the word to find meaning. We look to the context in which it was written, the translations of Greek and Hebrew, imagining how it might have been said or heard at a time of Abraham or Sarah or Moses or Jesus or Mary or Martha or Paul. But today, instead of focusing on the inner life of our scripture, I want to focus us instead on its afterlife. What do I mean, its afterlife? As Lisa often said, says, I am so glad you <laughs> By far the most powerful class I took in Divinity School was a seminar on race and religion taught by an amazing professor, Professor Totten Thomas. It was the final class of the semester in my final spring, and we were discussing scholar Sadia Hartman's work on what she calls the afterlife of slavery. We here in Richmond know that afterlife well. 
the wounds and legacies that still live unhealed in our city that we at Richmond Hill are working so hard to heal. Building off of Hartman's words, Professor Thomas reminded my classmates and me that day that ideas, too, have an afterlife. Words have an afterlife. Ideas can haunt, and ideas can heal. Words can save lives, and words can kill. They live on sometimes far longer than we can imagine, haunting and healing, saving and healing. Professor Thomas left all of us a charge that day, a benediction, if you will, to think about the afterlife of our own ideas, of our own words, long after we leave the classroom. Her charge has stuck with me since as I try to bring the ideas and words from that classroom to life. I find myself thinking about that class all the time.
where scripture and often I will add the words of Apostle Paul. I've got a thing with Paul that some Those words have been routinely used as a weapon against people like her. The language that she used to describe scripture, and I'll never forget this, was that it felt radioactive in her hands. Like she was physically holding the substance that was burning her when she tried to engage it. Scripture indeed has a powerful afterlife. The afterlife of this scripture that we read tonight, that made its way somehow into Paul's letter, from Paul's letter into the benediction, that in turn made, in turn made its way into my mouth and heart as a preacher, is a still living one. While I cannot find the original author that first inspired to turn some of this text into the benediction that I now know almost by heart, it has been a long, a long, it has long been a traditional prayer in the Church of England. It was used by the Queen herself at many Christmas blessings, and it was read for funeral. And so one would assume that it would be part of the end looking book of common prayer. But here's a fun fact. The first written record of this prayer is in a proposed revision to the Book of Common Prayer by the Church of England in 1928 as a charge for new ministers and the Episcopalians in the room, if I get this history wrong, ask for grace. But that 1928 revision of the book was ultimately rejected by the Church of England, by, sorry, by the Parliament, with much controversy. And so that prayer, it never made it in to the official book that was widely adopted by Anglican and Episcopal, church, Episcopal churches. But wait, there is more. <laughs> in an intriguing ecumenical heist, the Presbyterians were waiting in the wings. <laughs> by 1946, they were revising their own Book of Common Worship. And they also liked this benediction because who wouldn't? <laughs> and so they chose it as a blessing to conclude their confirmation services. But so many Presbyterian clergy loved this benediction over the years that by the time they revised that book in 1993, it was promoted to be a suggested worship benediction. One of the Presbyterian ministers who so took to those words was the Reverend Don Campbell of the First Presbyterian Church in Stamford, Connecticut. And every week throughout the 1950s and 60s and 70s, he faithfully charged his congregation to go forth into the world, to be of good courage, to hold fast to that which is good. And one of the people who heard that charge week after week was a little girl named Janet who was baptized and confirmed in that church. So when the Reverend Campbell married Janet and her husband Churchill in 1972 in the same church, she requested that benediction. And her husband, an Episcopalian, went along with it. That little girl was my mom, which brings me to the real reason that I love this scripture, this benediction, and why it has had such a powerful afterlife for me. Every time I say it, I say it with love for God, I say it with love for you all, and also with love for my mom because it's her favorite. 
and I feel like I'm passing a little part of my love for her to you. Her peace, her courage, her goodness. And when I asked her yesterday why she loves this benediction so much, she talks of, she talked about how it strengthens her. She talked about how it strengthens her, how she believes it deeply, both as an intimately personal and inclusively universal charge. My dad, the Episcopalian, who in an ecumenical twist now has taken it on as his own, talked about how pragmatic it was, <laughs> how it was understandable and real and something he could grab hold of that wasn't too lofty and theoretical, <laughs> like maybe his youngest daughter. <laughs> the word benediction comes from Latin bene dicere. Bene means well or good and dicere to say or word. So benediction is to offer a good word or to wish well, or in short, to bless. I was recently trying to explain to some non-religious friends of mine what exactly a blessing is. And it's slightly different from a prayer, right, which can be any conversation with God. A blessing is specifically a word that does work in the world. Perhaps the word made flesh. A blessing is taking something lofty and theoretical like the love of God and making it something real we can understand, like loving each other. A blessing is, of course, not magic. That this benediction was so beloved by the Church of England at a time when both England and the Church were literally building an empire of colonization and building wealth on the exploited labor of, of enslaved people globally hardly honoring all people, speaks volumes to the limitations inherent in the blessings we say, in the benedictions we offer. But our benedictions are also not nothing. Ideas and words mean something when they become flesh. They have an afterlife when they go on to live in the lives of people who hear them, who then live them out. When we live them out in love, we then give them life in our relationships, in our communities, and in our cities. That same Divinity School friend I talked about is now on track to be an Episcopal minister. And when I asked her about how her relationship with Scripture changed, she described a long, slow process in communities she could trust, piecing her faith back together through every moment that someone in the community handled scripture in ways she could trust. Slowly, she found that the word could become flesh in ways that did not cause her harm. Slowly, she found the potential for healing. So Richmond Hill, as a community of faith who says a lot of prayers and recites a lot of blessings and reads a lot of scripture, how will our words here become flesh? Will they haunt or will they heal? What will be their afterlife? 
And as we head into this season of wholeness, which we are on the precipice of, and it is so exciting, I will close now with a good word, a well-wish, a benedicere, a blessing for you all. May our blessings and our prayers have rich, good, courageous afterlives. May our words become flesh through our actions in how we strengthen each other, and how we support and help those who might need it, and how we honor one another and all who come through our doors, and how we love and serve the Lord and in how we rejoice. And so as you listen to this benediction, which you're going to hear again for the third time at the end of the service, so be ready. Think about how it will live on in your life and in our life, lives as a community and in our life here in Richmond, Virginia. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the love of God, our Creator, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit be with you and among you always. Amen.